We have a special treat for you guys today. So what we want to do is we as a church partner up with different uh, missionaries uh, to be able to, to help them, to, to, to work with them, to kind of see what they're doing in their ministry. Uh, it just so happens we have a couple today that are here. So I'm going to have Jeff and Becky Weagle come up. And they're just going to chat a little bit with you guys. Uh, some of you guys, I realize, don't know who they are. So uh, we want to make sure that we kind of clarify and kind of tell you some from scratch. So, again, if you've been here, you know Jeff and Becky. Uh, some of this might be redundant for you, but that's okay. Uh, we're just going to kind of ask some questions and figure out what they're doing in ministry. So Jeff and Becky work for the Navigators. Uh, so let me let Jeff just explain to you a little bit what the Navigators really is. Thanks, Dave. Well, good morning, church. And um, so if I haven't met you, my name's Jeff, and this is my wife, Becky. I grew up here in Darlington, uh, just a block from the swimming pool park. And uh, I was first introduced to the First Baptist Church when I was kidnapped one summer evening by this guy right here. <laughs> We'll use a different word than kidnapping. It was know. kidnapped. It was kidnapped. Um, but they brought me to the church here. They fed I was proselytizing. We'll go with that. <laughs> they, they fed me some tasty food, and they were all my friends. And so I would say, honestly, that was the first time I was introduced to the gospel message. And so I explored Christianity through high school. And then I went to college at UW-Madison. That's where I met the Navigators. And I, I met this community of students who wanted to know Christ, make him known, and help others do the same. And so I, I saw people having quiet times in the morning before class. I saw them sharing Christ with friends that they were on the same team with. And so I, I learned uh, how, to, how to have quiet times. I learned how to share the gospel, and I learned how to help others do that. And so when I graduated college, the, the Navigators gave me a chance to join staff with them, and, and I said yes. And Becky will maybe tell you quickly here how she met the Navigators. I was in college at Illinois State University studying to be a special education teacher. And my freshman year, I joined a sorority. And in the works, I, I met a woman who worked for the Navigators. And I placed my faith in Christ after my freshman year in college. And life dramatically changed for me in a good way. And I continued to grow in my faith through um, discipleship, one-to-one -one with Jaina. She would read the Bible with me, and she taught me how to memorize scripture and plant it deep in my heart and in my memory. Um, and then I lived in a sorority house with um, 40 other women that didn't know Christ, and so she taught me how to share my faith through a little diagram of the bridge with the women that lived in that home. And so we would start having girls' night, and we would read the Bible with maybe five women each week um, who didn't know Jesus. So it was neat to practice that. And then can you just share a little bit like when you guys met? Well, uh, we met at this hipster coffee shop in Urbana, uh, Illinois. or in Illinois, yes, uh, in 2016. It was the morning of the national championship game when the Badgers were playing Duke. So it's, that date is just cemented in there real good. So I was wearing all red. Becky later on said that she didn't think I looked very good in red, which I would have found insulting that day. But um, we, we first met. We met on a blind date. And, uh, I, you know, it just went, went from there. So. That's good. Um, so we have been going over, uh, we just started this series of proselytizing this last week. Uh, we'll, Nick will keep uh, going through that uh, today and then the next couple weeks uh, through that. Um, 
And we've been going over what is the gospel, like what is the gospel message, why do we share it, how do we share it, all those questions will keep coming into play. But could you guys explain just a little bit of what evangelism or proselytizing looks like on a college campus? Sure. Well, for the last five years, we've been in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and that's where uh, we've worked for the Navigators. We're the campus directors of the, the campus ministry there. And if you um, remember, periodically we would come and give updates here at church, and it probably just sounded like me saying that ministry was like biking into the wind. We, we kind of inherited a, a ship that was sinking, no pun intended, both with the set behind me and the Navigator's ministry, but that's what it felt like. And uh, it felt like we were biking into the wind for th- uh, four years. And this last year, uh, as we started, you know, in my mind, there, there were I could just keep listing all of the obstacles that were on top of the ones that we felt like we normally had what with COVID and restrictions and stuff like that. And so this year we are just celebrating what the Lord accomplished. It was our, it was our best year that we've had on campus. It's like we switched from biking into the wind to biking with the wind. And um, it was pretty incredible. So uh, one of the things that we do with students is especially freshmen, we try to coach them in how to be a witness to others and share the gospel message. And um, it's no surprise that freshmen feel a lot of pressure and uh, feel like there's a stigma with you just shouldn't be doing this. Like it's not okay to share the gospel with your friends. And, and so we're, we, uh, we disagree with that. And so um, we hold this uh, training time in the spring. We call it Joshua Team. And we have courage challenges in it. And the courage challenges each week, uh, it's a small thing. Like uh, have a spiritual, con- start small, have a spiritual conversation with your friend. Um, share your testimony of how you came to Christ with a different friend. Uh, initiate um, uh, an opportunity to, to share the gospel message with another one. So we did this over the course of six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, we had um, a couple people that were exploring Christianity by reading the Bible with a Navigator student. And so one of these students, his name is Nickel. And uh, the really great thing that happened at the end of the school year was that this friend of Nichols who'd been exploring Christianity placed his faith in Christ right as the school year wrapped up. And so Nichols was probably one of those guys that was afraid of sharing the gospel and felt like, I don't know if I should be doing this. And, uh, but he did it. He trusted the Lord and he got to see his friend place his faith in Christ. And so this is kind of a normal experience on a college campus. Some students are afraid to share, but they place their trust in the Lord, and they go do that, and then they see the Lord do amazing things. That's cool. Um, and can you uh, also just explain to, to everybody, like, how things are going now, recently? Like, what are some of the changes and steps and things that are, that are going on, you know, over the course of maybe COVID or even, you know, in the upcoming future? Well, one change is our location. So we were in Eau Claire, and the navigators had asked if we would move down to Madison. And we were like, well, I guess so. No, we were very excited. It was kind of an answer to prayer. We wanted to come back this way. And so we are living in Verona, right outside of Madison. And we get to minister at the UW-Madison. So we'll be doing that in the future. Um, it's a giant school, I'm sure you guys all know, but um, I have never lived there. So there's 43,000 students at the UW-Madison. And we are joining a team, so we're excited for that too. That's an answer to prayer. We won't be directing, but we just get to be on the team and minister to students and lead Bible studies and things like that. Um, we also get from the Navigators, they've given us a sabbatical. So we'll be taking that starting July 1st. 
So we're very excited for that, a little refreshment and time to read and reflect. It'll be very, very good. So we're excited for that. Are there other changes? Oh, another big change for us. It's been a journey, but we are hoping to adopt. So if you ever know anyone or hear anything, we're just praying, and pray for us too, please. We're praying to connect with the right family that is looking to place their child for adoption. So we are just waiting on the Lord for that and um, having joy you know, in the in-between. So that's a big change. And uh, last question before we uh, move on, but uh, what are uh, just a couple things that we can really truly be praying for? If you can just lay them out in like a few points so it's easy to remember uh, adoption, stuff like, like what are those few things that you really need prayer for? Yeah, we would say adoption and then for our sabbatical, it's a, it's a gift that we're able to rest, but then we'll have time to, to reflect, process some things that we need some help with. And then we'll be able to undergo some personal development that will help us be better campus ministers on the other side of the sabbatical. So we would say sabbatical and adoption. Okay. Well, um, let's pray for these guys. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for just this opportunity that Jeff and Becky get to come down and just share with us that, uh, that you are moving and working uh, in college campuses over the course of the state. And we continue to pray and ask that you would move in the hearts of college students, that as your word needs to be proclaimed and spread, uh, that you use us, and we're so grateful that you use us. And uh, we continue to pray for Jeff and Becky as uh, this upcoming year uh, starts, that uh, before that, that you would give them a sabbatical where they can just rest and reflect in you. And uh, we also just pray and ask that you would help them uh, in this endeavor of adoption, that uh, adoption can be a little bit scary, uh, and yet uh, it's a pretty amazing thing, especially when we realize that you have adopted us, that when we put our faith in you, that we have been adopted into your kingdom, your family. And we are grateful, and we praise you, and we want to give you all the glory. So it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We just, and yeah, and you know, the last time I was here, I forgot to say this, and I almost forgot to say this again. Thank you, thank you for uh, helping us work with the navigators for for sending us to share the gospel with others. We wouldn't be able to do that without your help. So thank you. Hey, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can grab it, open it. Uh, we're going to start in Matthew 10. We're going to bounce around a little bit today. Uh, the hope and the plan is to go shorter today. A uh, lot of things going on. I, I saw you chuckle. Uh, I know. That, that, there's a chance, though. Listen, we got the next two weeks, uh, we're just going to kind of pursue like a litany of points sort of all together. And so we'll get to some of them today. What we don't get to, we'll just save for next week uh, because we're going to continue on in a series that we began last week uh, and really just kind of work through a collection of things that we want to say about it uh, that, that aren't necessarily in any particular order, uh, maybe a little bit, but, but need to be prioritized as a whole. Before we get to that, though, let me, let me just mention a couple things. One, this is not in my points on how we would be a people who share the gospel, but I feel like I emphatically now need to tell you this. Do not kidnap anyone, all right? Let's just, 
That's a universal principle. Might have worked at one point in time, but it's, it's not something we want to make as a part of our methodology, right? Let's just clarify that. Make sure it's recorded, it's written down. Like, I didn't endorse or encourage that. Uh, stay out of some legal ramifications, all that kind of good stuff. Hey? Uh, second, it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. I'm going to accept that round of applause. Look, I'm qualified, uh, so I'm cool with that. Uh, I want to just mention a couple things. Let me give you two points of charge for you uh, dads out there and then let you know one of the things that we want to do to just kind of bless you. Uh, the first is, as I think about it, one of the most valuable pieces of uh, fatherhood is just the presence of your father. Amen? Uh, and so, like, I think about it in my life growing up uh, and how the the ability for my dad to be around was frequently and and now looking back upon it more valuable than the nature of his presence right like we we always pursue these ideas of like great quality time and I think as uh as men there's this kind of idea that like oh, you know, I have to do, like, if I can play catch with my kid, or I can take him fishing, or I can do this, or we're going to have these really special moments and special times, and, and certainly those quality times are really valuable, but if I could encourage you, men, especially if you're raising young kids, to do one thing, it's to make an effort to be present, right? Fill the quantity of time and allow the quality to flow from that, because if you you decide that what fatherhood is is uh, one hour a week of quality time and that's it and you're not present more than that you're going to miss it and so so be there be around uh, and frequently even in the times that are difficult and painful you know I, I, it's funny like you, you talk about like a family being put up for adoption like I maybe a different era but I was raised like frequently my parents were like we're thinking about putting you up for adoption and so like in that I'm sure there were times of like significant tension in my relationship with my father I can recall them as I get older but I I don't think it started then Uh, in all of that though the ministry of presence uh, is always something that is of great value and so if I could encourage you fathers do that the second thing I want to encourage you in um read to your kids, right? And, and, and so you hear me with frequency. If we're talking about men, uh, one of the things that's really concerning to me in a practical sense in our culture, especially in Lafayette County, men just don't read. We just don't read at all. And, and so out of that, the consistent encouragement and, and us trying to kind of press you on that is we believe that that's a spiritual discipline in its nature and you need to be doing it. Uh, maybe one of the ways you do that well is you commit to read to your kids. Maybe that's grabbing. We have, we have these uh, Jesus storybook Bibles. It's like a second grade reading level. Most of you can read them, honestly. And, and so uh, not a lot of big words. If they are, sound them out. It's fine, right? Like, Pick it up, read it to your kids, and, and so out of that, we want to really encourage you to do that. Uh, in addition, uh, if you're beyond that second grade reading level, read yourself, uh, and we have a gift for you to kind of help you with that. Uh, in the back, on your way out, uh, we have these copies of Disciplines of a Godly Man. Uh, we've been uh, going through them together in our elder team over the last several weeks. In fact, this whole year, I think we've been taking a chapter each meeting uh, and just working through this, looking at it. Uh, really helpful book to kind of guide you in some practices of spiritual truth uh, and what you want to be kind of committing to and doing in your life. And so uh, we have a gift for you. Uh, want you to take one of those. However, 
want you to take one and read it. Like if you take it and it just sits on a shelf or it uh, gets buried in the bottom of your car or it gets thrown out after a while, like that's not going to help anybody, right? So, so take it, maybe use that as a, as a gift with a caveat that you would commit to reading it and commit to the discipline of, of getting into reading as a spiritual discipline. Amen? Okay, let's, let's pray and then uh, talk a li- little bit this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for you, grateful for uh, the joy that it is to gather together as your church. And so I I pray that as we study your word, as we consider uh, what it looks like to to know you, to be known by you, and, and from that joy to be a people that would go out proclaiming the goodness of your name, uh, I pray that you would encourage us, convict us, Lord, uh, and, and guide us, kind of bring us into the center of your truth and your will for our life as a people who are sent out in your name to proclaim you and to proclaim your goodness into all the earth. Help us with it, Lord. We pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, if you weren't here last week, let me, let me just catch you up really quick. We began a new series we're going to spend a few weeks in uh, called proselytize. That, that word defined in our language means to convert or to attempt to convert somebody to your position, right? It's a, it's a persuasive idea. Uh, we actually use that word in particular because I think, as, and Jeff touched on this a little bit in his talk about UW, it's, it's become more and more of a cultural buzzword with a really pretty negative connotation. And, and so the, the general tide of the culture that we exist in, I think, is flowing further and further into a value system says your beliefs and your faith ought to be something that are held privately, internally, and subjectively to just you. That uh, as we move into a time and a place where the growing kind of feel and wind of culture is to reject anything that would be objectively true, uh, along with that comes an idea that it's fine for you to be religious, just don't tell me about it. Amen? And, and so as that continues in our culture and as we kind of see that sort of mentality build, I think one of the things that happens within the church is that we kind of get, for a variety of reasons, pulled in to this mentality and we, we sort of agree, whether it's passively or actively, that as long as we live a life of faith, we don't really have a responsibility or, or even... Um, an opportunity or even feel a zeal for sharing that, for proclaiming that to those that God has placed in our lives, right? And in fact, the statistic out of all of them that I mentioned last week that was really concerning to me is that uh, we said less than 1% of American Christians confessed that they had ever built a relationship with someone with the intention of sharing their faith in Christ with that person. Right? So, so in that, uh, the passivity of, well, every once in a while I tell someone about Jesus uh, was not kind of met or exceeded with the level of care that was, I 
found this person, I built a friendship with them, I spent time investing in their life so that at some point in time I felt like I would have the ability to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. We're just not very bold, not very proactive, and that's not to guilt trip you in this, right? But rather that we wanted to bring, bring out a series that would just rest in a place that was, was coming alongside and trying to help us in this, right? And so we spent all of last week really defining uh, first the hurdle that is, it is our opportunity and our responsibility and our privilege to proclaim the glory of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. That that is the call of the believers. In fact, out of the Gospel of John, the series that we concluded right before we got this, Jesus finishes his gospel in his resurrection, commissioning his disciples, and by extension us, saying to us, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. You, that we are a people who are sent on purpose to glorify the name and proclaim the name of Jesus into the remotest parts of the earth, that we would continue to go. And so we, we kind of said that, and then along with it, we said, well, let's, let's kind of help us define what exactly that gospel is. That uh, the second thing that we frequently see us as believers get kind of sucked into is to replace the gospel account of Jesus with a whole litany of issues that might be affected by the gospel but ultimately aren't first and foremost the good news of Jesus. Instead uh, we get kind of brought into social issues or political issues or legalism issues or moral issues or a whole host of other things that we spend our time really kind of arguing about, fighting about, dealing with, kind of focused on sometimes at the expense of the gospel. And so we said at its core, we want to be a people who are proclaiming the good news of Christ in the fact that God created the universe, right? We remember we broke it down into four words, God, man, Jesus' response, right? That we first and foremost recognize that we are created by and accountable to God. We second recognize that man has a problem. Mankind has a problem, an issue that is sin, that Jesus is the one who comes to solve that issue, making reconciliation through his death on the cross, and that the response of the believer is one of faith, that if, if you want to have that reconciliation applied to you, it is received by faith in Christ alone, not by your good workings. And so we said, let's start with that, and then the plan this week and next week is this, that we would go forth talking about how we do this. And, and I just, I just want to like be real with you, honest with you. Um, not my favorite way to preach. Okay, uh, Here's what I mean by that. Typically, if I'm building a sermon series and we're kind of working through where we're going as a church, uh, I just want to pick a book of the Bible and then, and then I want to just read that and tell you what it means. And it, so uh, the, the church word for that is expository preaching. That's, that's what my preference has always been. Um, I don't, it's easier for me. I don't know if that's like, that's kind of a cop out, right? I, I probably shouldn't even admit that, uh, but I, I'm just trying to be honest, right? Like that's what I'd rather do. Uh, it involves a little bit less work. I feel like it, in general, it keeps us better grounded in the scriptures. It forces me to say some things that even I might not want to say. And so uh, we really value and hold to that as a church. However, here's the thing. 
time to time, it necessitates and it's valuable for us to kind of take a different angle or viewpoint of things and go, hey, listen, let's just talk for a minute about how to do this. Because we sit in a room this morning where I think the majority of us, uh, maybe, maybe so much as all of us, so I'm not going to wrap you into that, uh, think, yeah, it'd be good to be able to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. But I don't know how. I'm not sure I really want to. Uh, I don't feel like I'm gifted or equipped to do that. And, and I've got a whole host of other reasons that, that I keep myself sort of contained in this part of my life. And I don't really stretch those boundaries or stretch those comfort zones. Again, that's, that's not isolated to college campuses. That's Christians all across this nation. Amen? Good. With me. All right. So let me, let me do this. Here's, here's the plan. We're going to walk through some things that I think we ought to just keep front and center as we consider what it looks like to be a people who care about the good news of Jesus and share the good news of Jesus, asking sort of this question, how do you do that? What are, what are the things that are important to remember as we seek to be a people who would talk about the Lord in our relationships and with others? All right, so here's... Here's the first one, all right? And, and really, I'm going to give you the first two together because I think you keep these in cooperation, and if you just rely on one or just rely on the other, you find yourself in a ditch that maybe you shouldn't be in. Uh, and I, I put these up on the screen, um, so we'll, we'll try to, if you're a note taker, you can take some of these, and we got, I got five or six today. I don't know if we'll get to all, we won't get to all of those. We'll get to a couple today, and we'll go from there, all right? The first, first thing is this. That if we're going to be a people who would share the gospel, we share it according to the scriptures. That we would be a people who share the gospel according to the scriptures. Uh, Paul writes to a church in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, that he delivers to them what he received as of first importance. Christ died for our sins, and then he says this, according to the scriptures, and buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is, is widely known as one of the most concise definitions of the gospel in all of the Bible. And twice in that single sentence, Paul says that the way that he delivered the gospel to the church in Corinth was according to what the good news of the scriptures had told him. That this was not something that he had made up, but rather that something was grounded in the Word of God. And so for us, what, what I want to just encourage you in is that we would be a people as we think about, as we seek to, and as we desire to share the good news of Jesus with others that are grounded in the Scriptures. Which kind of brings us back to that Father's Day point. If you don't read, you're not going to know the Scriptures. Right? Or if you don't listen to them, if you don't continue to consume them, if you don't stay active in the Scriptures, you will be always kind of stunted in your ability to share the Gospel according to the Scriptures. In fact, if you look through the early parts of Christianity, over and over and over again, the Bibles record the early people in the church sharing the good news of Jesus Christ as the one who saves and what they're going to do again and again again and again is they're going to frame it and reference it in the scriptures 
to a whole host of people. They, they go to Jewish people, they go to pagan people, they go to Samaria, they go all over, and consistently the basis of how they would talk about Jesus is according to the Scriptures. Now, here's what's re- really fascinating about that. New Testament written then? Can we just try this again? We're all still here, right? Okay. Is the New Testament written then? Okay. Six of you at least alive this time. So, so in this, right, they're preaching, proclaiming the good news of Jesus in the Scriptures, knowing the value of this even before the most precise, most clearly written portion of the Gospel Scriptures are actually recorded and canonized, right? And so before we even get to the New Testament being collected, the consistent grounding of believers talking about Jesus is this is what God had told us through His Word. And so, first and foremost, we're a people who would stay connected to His Word, that you would seek to know His Word, that you would seek to be grounded in His Word, so that you can share the truth of the Gospel according to His Word, according to the Scriptures. Now, here's the thing. The objection that always comes with that, then, is, well, I just don't know enough. Amen? Come on, guys. Let's try, let's try this. We're just going to do, do a hand raise. Uh, how many of you have ever felt like, I'm not sure I want to engage in a spiritual conversation with that person because I just don't feel adequate to talk about it on the basis of my knowledge and understanding of the Bible? Okay. We're, no more talkbacks. I'll just do hand raises. That worked way better. All right? Okay. We found it. All right? So, Every single one of us, right? And, and so in that, the objection when you go, hey, if you want to share the gospel, you've got to share it according to the scriptures, is kind of rests in some level of comfort. Like, oh, well, if I don't know the Bible inside and out, if I haven't gone to seminary, if I don't have a, a, a whole lot of experience in this, I'll, I, I just won't be adequate yet to share the scriptures. Well, can I help you with that? First of all, I've done a lot of those things, still frequently felt inadequate, felt like I'm not capable of answering those questions, felt like I'm not sure that I could engage in a conversation with somebody who is smarter than me, well-versed, well-studied, understands things beyond me. And so in that, that feeling, I can promise you, will never go away. All right? With me? Yeah, see? All right. We're on to something. I like it, okay? So uh, here's, the, here's the caveat or the compliment or the second thing that comes along with this, that we are a people who would go forth sharing the gospel, trusting the Holy Spirit. So I, I asked you to, share, to turn to Matthew chapter 10. Let me just read from Matthew 10, Jesus' commissioning of his disciples. So here's what's happening. Jesus has called the 12. He's spent some time with them. He's taught them. Uh, what they're meant to do, and almost as a trial run, still during his earthly ministry, he's taking them and he sends them out to go to be a people who would do ministry and proclaim his name in the area and the region that they're in. And so uh, as he does, here's the warning and the instruction that he gives to them. Behold, this is verse 16 of Matthew 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, 
For they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. This is very prophetic. If you read the book of Acts, you watch that the disciples and the early followers of Jesus are consistently brought before authorities so that they could testify to the good news of Jesus. Now the authorities don't know that's why they're bringing them there and yet over and over and over again as believers are on trial they have opportunities to testify to the good news of Jesus. And now while they're going to testify according to the scriptures look at what Jesus tells them to do. But when they hand you over do not worry about how or what you are to say for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speaks, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Here's the reality of the gospel message that salvation is a work of God. And, and so no one outside of the drawing of the Father, no one outside of the work of the Holy Spirit will come to know Christ. And so we will never be a people who can ultimately lead someone to Christ in our influence, our power, our persuasion, our knowledge, our ability to uh, exposit the scriptures or answer every objection without the working and trusting of the Holy Spirit. And so in this, you will always be inadequate. That's not a bad thing. What you do is you depend on the Spirit of God. Now, there's, there's two things this ought to do. One, this ought to be massively relieving to you, right? That, that there's no amount of wisdom and there's no amount of salesmanship that comes along with being someone who would talk about, who would testify to the good news of Jesus that ultimately will win them over. In fact, uh, in that same letter to Corinth, Paul the Apostle is noting that there is a great danger in feeling like their faith would be based on somebody's persuasive words. In fact, he says one of the reasons he came to them in such a way was so that would not happen. He says, I came to you, brethren, and I didn't come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but get this, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God, that we would be a people who would recognize the power of God. Now, let me give you... Uh, another one, and then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of close this up as we take the Lord's Supper for the sake of time. And the, the one that I'm going to skip, we're just going to spend a good deal of time on next week. I, I had an intention to spend a long time there anyways, and so we'll, we'll save that. It'll be great and glorious to God for that. But uh, point number, it's four in the notes, but point number three for today. Uh, I think we're meant to be a people who, as we share the gospel, we share the, the same message with an adaptable emphasis. That's a a weird way of kind of saying this. Let let me kind of walk you through what I mean by this. Uh, As we talked last week about what the good news of Jesus is, and and maybe this helps you in your mind, maybe this is not how you work, but we think about the different 
pieces of that, right? That, that we've got to establish the fact that there is a God of the universe that you and I and everyone else stands accountable to, uh, that there is a problem in all of mankind that is sin, that there is a Savior who came to reconcile people, that is Jesus, and that there is a response that is appropriate, which is uh, faith in the grace and mercy of God, not in our workings. Uh, you recognize that in communicating that to people, there's always going to be hang-ups that are different based on who it is that you're communicating with. Okay? All right, good. We're with me. Uh, let me give you an example of what this looks like. Um, one of my favorite things to remind you of, and maybe you've caught on to this if you've been with us for some period of time, is you're not that impressive Happy Father's Day. <laughs> you're, just, you're just limited, right? We are limited. One of, one of the great dangers of the past 20, 30 years of culture is, is the idea that has been kind of sewn in that you can be anything you want to be and you can do anything you want to do and you watch all these people who can't sing try out for American Idol because nobody had the courage and honesty to tell them, you're just not any good. Amen? And, yeah. Right? And, and, and it applies to a whole host of things. And, and so in that, uh, there is like a prideful, kind of misoriented self-esteem that I think just kind of floats around in our culture that makes people believe the lie that we're generally good and generally deserving of good things. I think that's a very well-held ideal as a culture. And so, by and large, in sharing the gospel frequently in American culture, one of the most kind of points of emphasis and common places that you need to spend some time in is, is listen, there's a problem with mankind, and it applies to each and every one of us that you are sinful and fall short of the glory of God. And so frequently, there's, there's going to be a great deal of emphasis on that. However, it's not always, right? Like, you talk to an average middle schooler, and what you're going to find is a great deal of inadequacy and a very low level of self-esteem and an insecurity that kind of always feels like I'm the problem and I've done everything wrong and I'm not the same as the rest of people and, and like there's just not something that's quite right about me, right? And, and so in that... Like, it might not be helpful to spend 45 minutes talking to them about how much they stink. Amen? Right? And so, so we might find that the same truth doesn't need to be emphasized in the same capacity or in the same need. I had a, a conversation this week uh, with, a, with a guy who was in his mid-50s. And, and we're talking about the gospel, not a believer, not church, uh, said he went to church when he was a young child and left and hasn't been back since. And we're kind of discussing why that is and what that looks like. And he says this, you know, I've made my decisions with my life. I am who I am. I've walked down the road that I've walked. And really, there's not much changing that now. And, and like, there's this level of heartbreak that goes, well, the problem for you is not to comprehend or understand that you might not be good enough to earn God's favor, right? It's, but rather, what is grace? What is mercy? And so the same truths become different in their 
point of emphasis. And so I think that's a, that's a really practical point, but we as believers need to recognize that we are ultimately sent to proclaim the gospel to who? To people. Right? And, and so in that, that we're a people who would respond with wisdom, trusting the Holy Spirit according to the Scriptures to recognize that sometimes people misunderstand or misinterpret or don't get a piece of the Gospel rather than the whole of the Gospel and that we would depend on the Lord to emphasize the parts of that that really matter for each one of them. Uh, you can see this over and over and over again in the Bible. So let me give you one example of it, and then we'll, we'll finish up. Uh, Paul the Apostle writes uh, 13 books, depending on who you ask, in the New Testament uh, is really the, the kind of beginning point of Christian evangelism into the Gentile world. And out of this begins to go from city to city to city. The book of Acts records him traveling and preaching over and over and over again to different crowds and communities. And one of the things that you're going to see again and again and again, if you, if you want to look for something to read this week, I just encourage you, challenge you to do this, is as Paul arrives into a city or into a place, he's going to adapt what he's doing and what he's preaching to the community that he gets to. One of the best examples of this, he's sitting in a city called Athens, as he's waiting, he's not even there for uh, the specific purpose of his missionary journey. He's just waiting to catch up with some friends as he can head out to his next destination. And Acts 17 tells us that as he sits in Athens, he sees in the city people that have no background in the Jewish Orthodox religion, uh, in the Old Testament, in the traditions of the church, but rather that he sees that it's a city filled with idols, including an idol that has this inscription, to an unknown God. And Paul finds from there an ability to go and declare before the whole of the people who have an entirely different point of emphasis, an entirely different way of presenting the good news of Jesus to them. He says, the God who created the heavens and earth and everything in it can be known. He doesn't dwell in these temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, but he himself is the one that gives life and breath and all things to us. And he begins to speak about the scriptures and the way that they describe who God is looking at their points of emphasis and their adaptability. Now what's so fascinating about this is if you read the beginning of Acts chapter 17 or you read Acts chapter 18, you're going to find him in synagogues preaching to Jews according to the Old Testament scriptures that he doesn't once reference or quote in his sermon upon Mars Hill. Because we're meant to be a people who would, with wisdom, trusting the Holy Spirit, proclaim the good news of Jesus according to the Scriptures. Now, let's finish with this then. Here's the last one. In this, what this ultimately means is that we would be a people that are always emphasizing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 